The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And with me, as always, is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? John, it's always a great night here in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Doing wonderful. And uh, my goodness, man, the summer's coming to an end and new things are happening. Uh Dogs and cats are singing together. It's all all a great time, man. Oh, yeah. And how's everything yeah. going over there at the uh, JPWA? We are coming on the 12th week of the latest JPWA uh, uh, session. And after August 21st, I think is the last day. It's, fri- it's next Friday. How about that? <laughs> next mm-hmm. Friday yep. uh, will be the last day for JPWA in this session. Then we're taking a week off. Yeah, we start the next, uh, the, our last 2020 session that goes 12 weeks. Uh, that'll begin August 31st and run through, I believe it is October 20th. So, um, or maybe it's November 20th. I think, no, it's October 20th. I'm sorry. I get, I get a little, uh, confused here at times, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's going well. Uh, everybody's worked out hard and, and, uh, Put a lot of sweat, blood, tears into it uh, over the summer, and uh, we're looking for the next one. We're looking for the next 12 weeks. We already have a few people signed up. Still taking applications at jpwrestlingacademy.com if you'd like to uh, find out all the information about training with JPWA here in Knoxville. Beautiful place to come train, beautiful place to come live. So, Things are going well. Things are going well. All things considered, 2020 uh, uh, has been kind of a crazy year for everyone. But uh, got to be, got to think positive, and know we're going to come out of this just fine. Did you happen to see? You know, speaking of crazy in 2020, did you happen to see Sonia Deville was getting stalked and all that other stuff, and the guy who was planning on macing her, tying her up, and, and um, they got out of the house. I don't know if you saw that or not. Well, no, I have not seen that. When oh. did this occur? No, I have not. I really haven't. Oh. What what they happened? Came, it came out today. Sonny Deville had a online stalker. Uh, if you look, this guy Philip was just obsessed with her and you know, was going on and on with her. And somehow, 
found her address and was stalking her at her home apparently for a few hours. Um, then eventually when it got late and she was going to bed, tried to get in the door and the alarm went off and, you know, they, they, her, I guess, and her friend, they, they ran out of the house. And, uh, when the cops came, he was still in the house and they found handcuffs and ties and mace and all this other stuff. He, he said he had plenty on kidnapping her. Wow. Well, my gosh, uh, I don't know how I'm, well, I haven't really been online today. I've been kind of busy. So God, that's, that's, um, welcome to 2020, Sonia, huh? That's, that couldn't be, uh, settling at all or, or comforting at all. Although I guess with, with an alarm, uh, and, and the guy being caught is kind of a comfort, but oh my God, it just goes to show you, you have to be careful these days there's a lot of lunatics out there man you never know what you're going to what you're going to find or who you're going to run into uh on the street but that's um you know what that's even more reason in my opinion uh to not put everything online not tell everybody everything there is about you and i know being a public figure sonia uh and, and not just sonia but everybody should be aware that there's crazies out there and you never know uh uh when you're going to be picked my gosh i'm glad she's all right though i'm glad nothing happened crazy and then uh, i saw online everyone was looking at all his tweets it's like holy crap uh, just complete obsessed nut like writing her over and over and over and i guess did not realize she's actually uh, a lesbian because he was saying he's in love with her why isn't she in love with him of course she never responded but I guess this guy was just that crazy. He just – and he obsessed with her, but obsessed with her to the point where he didn't know that she would have no interest in him anyway. Very, very strange situation. Well, I, yeah, I, I just looked here, and I found it. Uh, the, the headline says, man arrested on kidnapping charge outside the home of Sonia DeVille. Well, thank goodness. Um, police said Thomas was spotted by the homeowner who left with a guest in a car and also called 911. Well, good. Good. That's – insane but that's the world we live in today so take precautions everybody everybody everywhere have you ever had an issue with that when you were running the roads or you were one of the heavenly bodies any issues well, with fans like that as a matter of fact yes and uh on more than one, more than one occasion and when i actually came back to knoxville not too long ago uh had a person who kept uh, I would go to these uh these events, these these matches, these shows and pretty much working with Ricky Morton. That was how how we got hooked up. And uh there was this lady who had seen us seen me earlier in Smoky Mountain and also uh uh prior to that, but it was the Smoky Mountain stuff she was really obsessed with. And I started doing these shows with Ricky around Knoxville. And out in Maryville and in Sevierville and some of these other surrounding places. And she would be there every show. And when I was leaving, uh, every time she she wanted to show me these pictures she had taken from the Smoky Mountain days. <clears throat> now, uh, not unusual or anything, I guess, but, but she um, was taking the pictures up in the, the general admission seats, and, and you really couldn't tell who they were, although we she would point out 
<laughs> this is you, this is you, look, this is you. And uh, it's they're really far away, and it's kind of odd, and I get it, and I'm trying to be nice. And and every time I would see her, she would give me something, whether it was food or pictures, or uh, she gave me a, a, a bag one time, like a, uh, a gear bag, you don't carry your stuff in, but um, I'm particular about my workout bags. I'm particular about a lot of things. And <clears throat> while she was very nice, she also had that, uh, and she might be listening to this too, but she had that um, uh, odd quirk about her. And my wife, uh, met her at a, at a, we went and did some shows and, and autograph signings around Knoxville. The, the very few times my wife goes with me to these things, uh, we went to a Chill Howie Park show. Uh, Brad Armstrong um, uh, tribute show. And my wife came with me to help uh, set up the gimmick table and everything. And sure as hell, there she was. And as soon as I saw her, I said, Oh no, here we go. And uh, so I introduced her to my wife and and told her, hey, this is my wife, and uh, she didn't care. She kept coming back. But, yeah, nothing nothing as serious as being uh, kidnapped or wanted to kidnap, but I've had I've had a couple of stalkers. That, the, the one I just told you about is the most recent, but um, it's, it's insane out there, so. Scary stuff, uh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, but but see, here's the thing. It doesn't just happen to, to the public figures. It happens to uh, everyday people, and I, and I tell people this all the time. There's a horrible, horrible story about a family in Connecticut, the Pettit family, and uh, when I read that, it, it it's, it's so – it's chilling that people can actually do this, but – you know, you never know who sees you when you're out at the grocery store or just shopping or driving and somebody happens to see you and follows you home and, and drives past the house. And I mean, it's not uncommon. It, it's um, I'm, I'm always looking over my shoulder, being aware of who uh, who I might be walking past or or <laughs> who's looking or what. It, you, because the world is so crazy, you just don't know. And and people are so uh, um, inventive these days. And if if you come across uh, somebody who just doesn't care, uh, and they have intentions, no matter what they are, they're they're gonna they're gonna follow through. Nine times out of ten, maybe not, but you find that one uh, lunatic who does, and that's all it takes. The other thing that's kind of crazy is they know, like, the airport schedule sometimes is like the the wrestlers and they'll wait at the airport and they get, you know, quote-unquote, get all these autographs. Um, I don't know if they're selling them or, or if they're they're really just stalkers stalking them, but I find that kind of scary. Like, how do they know the flight schedule of, of like, a superstar? Well, like crazy. yeah, I think I think that's, that's kind of a more um, – uh, that, that goes with the celebrity thing. You know, it happens with, with rock and rollers. It happens with people who uh, – just happen to have a name, but yeah, that happened a lot. Uh, just, just from usually in the mornings when everybody was flying out and, uh, when they knew they were coming in, I mean, just knowing the date of the show or knowing the date of, uh, when the guys were coming in, that wouldn't be too hard to find out. And, 
And by then, the Internet was in full swing, and you had people who knew everything about the schedules, where where this guy lived, where that guy lived. And I read, hell, not too long ago about somebody who uh, – I'll tell you this story, too, just reminding me. Somebody just found out where Arn Anderson lived, knocked on his door and asked him to sign something. During the campaign uh, with Mayor Jacobs, we had uh, a fellow – who at, came to one of the, the campaign appearances and told me he saw me getting out of my car. He lives in the same neighborhood. Saw me getting out of my car, and he, he said, I, I want to stop say hello, but I thought, no, nah, that'd be too weird. And I thought, yeah, that might have been too weird. But, I mean, because I haven't been on TV in I don't know how long. And I haven't, I've been around Knoxville prior to, but you just you don't know. Um, I've run into people, God, for the past eight years, uh, randomly who, who would either recognize me, remember Smoky Mountain, remember something about WWE. And, uh, that's, that's cool. But at the same time in this day and age, especially with my wife and my daughter, uh, I, I tell both of them. You have to be careful. You, you, you can't just be nice to somebody because, you you can't assume their intentions are good. They're not always bad, but they're not always good. And so, uh, you know, that's I'm glad I'm glad Sonya didn't get hurt. I'm glad nobody got hurt on that. And um, I think that's just a, a fact of life. Everybody needs to be aware of that. There are some people out there with uh, uh, delusions and bad intentions. Not a good place these days. Now, we'll switch gears into some better times. We'll go back into 1995. But before we do that, I just want to mention that this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Blue Chew is made in the good old U.S. of A. It is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor or wait in line. It's cheaper than a pharmacy and they prepare and ship it right to you in a discreet package. There's no awkwardness and you do not need to leave the house. What do you think about this? BlueChew.com. Our promo code is DOC. You pay just $5 shipping. You get the first shipment for free when you use the promo code DOC. Well, you know what? If you need confidence, this is giving you confidence where it counts. I mean, Blue Chew is a fast and easy way to enhance your performance in the bedroom, and I couldn't think of a better way to have it handy. Blue Chew is the chewable Viagra, and i got to tell you, I think it's great. Like I said right now, special deal for the listeners. Visit BlueChew.com. Get your first shipping free when you use our promo code DOC. You just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Q.com, promo code DOC, and you can try it for free. So, like I said, let's move on to some better times, and we'll go back into 1995, August 12th. Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Fire on the Mountain, 1995, the night of dream matches in Johnson City, Tennessee, at good old Freedom Hall. The attendance was 1,900 people. Dr. Tom, when I say the night of dream matches, you're probably thinking, not really going to be true in, in this case, right? Well, yeah, I, but but then again, it all depends who's who's having the dream, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, can, we can always go back to um, uh, what, what the uh, – what the premise was of, of having all these uh, great matches, but um, 
you know, you, you had a you had a a plethora. I love that word plethora mm. of of stars uh, up and down the card on this show. So I mean, for some people, it might have been uh, a night of dream matches. But you know, uh, you're right. Um, well, one of the dream matches, obviously Cornette versus Bob Armstrong in a first blood match. Now somebody had to have a mm-hmm. dream about that. It might have been Cornette's nightmare, but. Uh, you know, here you go. Bob Armstrong has has a chance to to get his hands on him and 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 show everybody in Johnson City that, uh, yeah, Cornette does bleed red like everybody else. Now, with this card, really, I mean, you, you just think about it. Okay, Fire on the Mountain been a card that they do pretty much every year. Very very popular thing. With this being 1985, they're doing the Night of the Dream matches. At this point, is Cornette still the only booker? Like, is he just booking it by himself at this point? Is this, does he have any help? No, Jim. Jim was doing this all by himself. I, he really didn't have any help doing this uh, during this period. Now I take that back. He 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 probably uh, asked Bob Bob Armstrong uh, advice or um, his opinion. I'm I'm sure that. Uh, well, I would, I would venture to say that would be something that uh, Jim would do if he felt necessary. But once again, you know, the things I've learned about Jim Cornette over the years is when he has a plan, he he has a plan that he's he's going to follow. He will listen to suggestions and he'll listen to opinions. But if he has a plan and an idea, um, he, he has it late. Pardon me. Laid out. He has it uh, known, and and he he knows what he's going to do. I didn't have it known. He knows what he's going to do, and he can envision, envision it. So, um, Jim by himself uh, was was a pretty pretty good source. But uh, once again, you know, one man doing it all takes its toll. And that that's my opinion. But uh no, at this time Jim was the only official booker, owner, uh slash uh chief uh, chef and bottle washer. Such a interesting time for Smoky Mountain because it's almost like it, it's winding down whether Cornette or you guys probably don't even realize it or Cornette maybe can see the writing on the wall, but do you guys kind of uh, see this at this point going downhill or you're you're not really well, Sure. Yeah, no, no, no. We, you know, you got to remember this is '95, and we'd already been in WWE for a while, and and uh, you know, had our first match in '93. So we we knew, and again, it it was uh, the the times were changing. I mean, it was it was evident to anybody who really had their eyes open what was happening in the business. There was um, nowhere to really go except. To the big companies, uh, WCW or WWE, and and I, again, uh, had been been watching and, and kind of paying attention to uh, what was going on, but at the same time, um, it was a weird time for the business because it it was that upheaval, and everybody was looking over their shoulders and to their left and to their right and seeing who was, who was making the moves, who was going to be next to go and, and what was going to happen to uh, a place like Smoky Mountain. Because even though 1,900 people 
ah, it's okay. It ain't great. And, uh, you know, once again, it was Southern wrestling, Southern wrestling. And people enjoyed it. Hell, I enjoyed it. And uh, you had to have guys who understood how to tell stories. And you had to have guys, especially in comparison to to guys that uh, WWE had at the time, who, who looked larger than life, who looked uh, like the, the superstars people wanted to see. You know, it was it, it was hard to to uh, go up against the production values of WWE at that time. You know, Smoky Mountain was still a regional territory and it was booked and filmed and taped as a regional territory. And uh, the wave was not going back to the gyms and armories. It was going back to the going forward into the arenas and and the lights glimmer and sizzle and uh, superstars. So while I think all of us were enjoying our time at Smoky Mountain, I think anybody who had any sense of reality understood that um, it wasn't going to last forever. We wished it would, but uh, the reality was you had to draw more than 1,900 people, and and it was getting tough because if somebody got hot, uh, WWE was going to take them. So, and just looking at this this card right here, you know, Unibomb uh, was was due to be snatched up at any time, and he certainly was. So, yeah, that's uh, yeah. for sure. The first match of the evening, Boo Bradley defeats Tommy Rich in a match where Bradley is blindfolded. This is Tommy Rich's quote-unquote dream match. Weird uh, stipulation, weird match. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this one? Well, once again, you know, this is this is Southern wrestling. This is uh, a stipulation that you see in, in one of those uh, Tennessee um, wrestling matches. And and back then, people would believe. Well, okay, if Tommy just if Tommy just got his dream match and got Boo to put on that blindfold, then by God, he'd whoop him. Well, Tommy didn't whoop him. So, uh, I once again, you know, Tommy was that good old Southern boy. But but at this point in his life, at this point in his career, Tommy had kind of. Uh, Moved on, moved on. Got a little older, and and uh, while it was probably his dream match, getting Boo in the match and and uh, with the handicap of being blindfolded, didn't work out too well. Obviously, so. What do you think about Tommy Rich? Just if, if you just think about it, you know, former NWA World Champion back in 1981, kind of got the fluke win, only held the title for a few weeks. But what do you think about uh, good old Wildfire Tommy Rich? Well. You know, I met Wildfire in Atlanta when he was on fire. Really, he he was the top star. He is one of those guys that the most unlikely uh, superstars during that time. But he was on every cover of every wrestling magazine when TBS was getting hot. He was hot. He was the star. Um, didn't look like much, but boy, when he got in the ring, he had this undeniable and unbelievable fire. He, he, uh, he would, he was bigger than, uh, than he looked on TV, uh, taller and, 
he just didn't go to the gym. He didn't look like a, a big muscle guy by all means. But when he got in the ring and uh, uh, fired up or, or just came came at you, and, and the people believed and got behind him. And then he became this, uh, I don't want to say mythological figure, but at the same time he was making these shows and making these towns all over the country thanks to Jim Barnett. Um, and everywhere he went, uh, that that blonde hair and that, that nice smile, you know, he had a beautiful, beautiful smile. You know, look at look at Wildfire Tommy Rich, just this great big smile, uh, southern gentleman, you know, uh, from Tennessee, but he moved to Georgia and – you know, but he's from the South, and he just said, he says grace, and he says, man, if you ain't into that, he don't give a damn type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Tommy Rich. That was Tommy in his daily life. That was Tommy uh, at the building. And I, I, I like Tommy. I've always had, I've always liked Tommy from the first time I met him. But, you know, we go back and forth because I always, uh, when I met him, uh, I was obviously younger, and he would just hammer me and hammer Brad and hammer the young guys to come in in, in, a, in a good way, in a good-natured way. But but you'd get fed up with it, and I'd say, all right, all right, fireball, come on, fire up. And I'd stop mimicking him back. And and we just had that, that type of relationship. Uh, and Tommy had that type of relationship with, with the fans. He was genuine and uh the people loved him you know and and the one thing i think and i i wish he would have done i'm not i don't know if he wishes he would have done or not but you know get in the gym and uh stay consistent and and keep up you know a lot of times it happens with everybody you know you get away from taking care of yourself working out doing what you should do and i think that's what happened to to Tommy along the way, but, but Tommy was a great baby face. He really, really was. And, uh, especially in his younger years. And if he would have maintained or, or improved his, his body and his look, who knows how, where he could have gone. The thing that's interesting about Smoky Mountain, and it, I think they always kind of did this, but especially at this point, they'll tape this show and they'll call it fire in the mountain, but they'll air it over a few weeks so they'll have Tommy Rich wrestling in a few matches, and I'll bring it up later. He has another match. Boo Bradley has another match. So it's like uh, a lot of the times guys work a few times the same night. Was that kind of normalcy yeah. back then? Yeah, for the TV tapings it was. Uh, you know, it, it was, uh, once again, you have, to, you have to consider the budget. You have to consider um, uh, the venue and and how much time we had uh to do these tapings because everybody had to be there for for the TV and uh for Stan to come in every week you know to to do to do a TV taping every week would be way way too much way too expensive and I think too too uh hard to to get everyone in one place so yeah you if you had four TV tapings chances are if you if you were involved in the uh uh, main event or main angles, you're you're going to be figured in on all four of those tapings somehow, some way, even if it's a, a promo or or a match uh, or whatever it is. But yeah, that that was um, 
again, different day, different era. We're talking 1994, and uh, uh, it was, or 1995, I guess. Smoky Mountain started in 92, is that right? 90, 91. 91. Yeah. Really 91, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, yeah, the, the budget um, was was the budget. And I don't know what the number was, but certainly it was enough just to to to, to start the territory, start it up, and then I think after a certain time it was supposed to be self-sufficient. And uh, there's no nobody that has uh, bottomless pockets. It's it's got to stop somewhere. So that was, I think, the economical way to do things uh, back then. Not just Smoky Mountain, but but. Other places did it as well. Now, this next match, we were kind of talking about a little bit last week when we said Ricky Morton was fired after a fight with uh, the wives and girlfriends and Tracy Smothers. So Robert Gibson defeats the Headbangers in a handicap match where this would be uh, the stipulation if Gibson were to lose, he would have to wear a dress. This was Thrasher of the Headbangers dream match. So another guy's dream match, they lose. Robert Gibson beats the Headbangers in a handicap match. Well, once again, I don't think there's any upside to having Robert wear a dress. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, Ricky's out of the picture now. So, feature Robert. But um, and and I, Robert, no doubt, is a great worker to this day. But uh, one of the key elements held, in my opinion. Uh, the biggest, the, the majority of what got uh, the Rockers over, the Rock and Roll Express, was uh, Ricky Morton's selling and ability to get people invested when when they were in the ring. Robert was a great comeback guy. He was a great, uh, had a great look, and, and he was uh, an intricate part of the team, no doubt, and, and a very important part. But, but Ricky um, was that guy. That uh, without Ricky on the team, it was up to Robert to do the selling, and people, you know, would get behind Robert. But it was a different vibe; it was a different feeling, and and I think everybody knew that and felt that. Uh, Even when they broke up in WCW, you know, it was uh, Robert. Robert was was good, and Robert was actually great. But but once you saw Ricky Morton. Doing what he did, and he sold uh, like a champ every night, and gave Robert that hot comeback. So that was a hard combo to beat. That's why they've been together so long because I think they both realized it. They, they complimented each other, and and in this case, uh, he, Robert was left without Ricky, so they had to had to figure him in some way. And uh, what a better way to do it than say, hey, you guys, what's your dream match? Oh, you want Robert to wear a dress if he loses? Well, by all means, let's do that. That's what I think. Huh. With Ricky Morton in that fight, was that controversial backstage that he was fired because of it? I mean, what was the, the you know, the general feeling amongst the uh, boys? Well, you know, once again, here, here's here's the feeling um, in my – I don't know what everybody thought, but my feeling is um, – Leave leave the wives out of it. Uh, don't. 
uh, some of the guys travel with their wives, and if they're in the business, great. But but even that, even that, uh, keep everybody in in check. Uh, you don't need to offer an opinion unless you really ask. That's my opinion, and that's that's my way of, of doing it because tensions on the road um, can can get high, and with the women especially. They think sometimes that they might know a little more hmm. uh, about the business and what they should do and shouldn't do. And there's always petty jealousy. Yeah, you know, there's petty jealousy with the guys. But you throw women into it, um, especially in a smaller territory where they're vying for attention and uh, being featured, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know what everybody else thought. I just I, – I, I felt – it was silly. I understand how it can happen that way because you're on the road and uh, <laughs> you're home, and and sometimes you bring your your girl or your wife with you. Not the best decision always. Not the worst decision always. But in this case, um, whoever was at fault, and I don't know, don't know the whole story, but but whoever was at fault uh, needed to just chill out, be quiet. And uh, um, take it as it comes. You know, if it was Ricky that got fired, and because Andrea or whoever said something, then deal with it and let it pass. And and trust me, it'll it'll pass and wear down until we talk about it on a podcast thirty years from now. So yes, yeah, you know. But but I I think everybody kind of felt the same way over the line and don't get in somebody else's lane, kind of. And keep it cool, and and uh, especially when you're tired late at night, and and uh, <laughs> some of those hurt feelings come out at the worst time. So, but I don't know what everybody else thought. I just thought it was silly. Now the next match is a quote unquote battle royal, and it was declared a no contest. Brad Armstrong eliminated himself, leaving the Punisher. Tommy Rich, Al Snow, and Unabom, the former reigning wrestlers, left in the ring. This is Punisher's dream match. Do you, can you make sense of this? Does this have any kind of recollection to you? Because this doesn't make any sense to me. Not at all. I have no clue on this one. I really don't. Uh, I, I see here it's a Falls Count Anywhere tag team match, and mm-hmm. I don't understand it either. I mean, uh, that's um, I see Brian Armstrong... Boo Bradley, uh, the Punisher and Tommy Rich beat Boo Bradley and Brian Armstrong to Falls Count Anywhere tag team. So, so at first, for some reason, it's a battle royal. Then it turns into Tommy Rich and the Punisher defeat Boo Bradley and Brian Armstrong in a Falls Count Anywhere match where Rich Rich pins Bradley. This was Bradley's dream match. The Battle Royal thing, I know it just didn't make any sense. I was like, what the hell? Like, that's weird. So then then it kind of turns into this tag match and that is well, one of those things where it's like okay everybody who has a quote-unquote dream match is going to lose yeah yeah I, I i don't know um jimmy's line of thinking here uh <laughs> i just i i know that um uh what is it uh oh, the word i'm looking for uh the, the mother it, uh, necessity is the mother of invention or whatever it's called. Uh, whatever you're looking for is something. If you, you don't know 
what to do with it. What do we do? What do we do? Somebody says, why don't we have a battle royal and we'll turn it into a false cat anywhere tag match? Brilliant idea. Go work it out. Right, you know, sometimes it happens like that. And sometimes uh, you're, you're, you're sitting around and, and uh, figuring out what to do with these guys. That's why I don't want to be a booker. I don't want to have anything to do with putting around putting on a TV uh, making this stuff make sense because you're, you're going to run into personalities. You're, you're going to run into guys like the Punisher and Tommy Rich and Boo Bradley and Brian Armstrong. Brian has always been a creative guy, but he was young back then, and I'm sure he had ideas. I'm sure he had opinions, but uh, good gosh, man. It, it, there was a lot on Jimmy's plate, and, and as you could tell by this this card alone, uh, he was <laughs> he was he was doing what he could, uh, doing his best to make it interesting and entertaining as as hell for everybody else. But looking back on it, um, I'm sure he's even going, "How in the hell did I come up with that?" Very weird. Yeah, it's like almost like doesn't make any sense. But then again, like I said, Bradley's dream match, but loses another dream match. It's like the ongoing thing. Anybody who has a dream match. He's going to lose. Uh, I think uh, well, the book, booking might be becoming a little bit predictable. Well, yeah, but, but you know, your dreams don't always come true, I guess. Mm, uh, mine, mine haven't always come true. and could, That could have been the theme. I don't know that it was, but I'm going to throw some speculation your way and say possibly this was the mm. intention of Mr. Cornette to tell you subliminally and uh, right up front that you don't always get what you want. So... That it could be ingenious. Yeah, you, you don't always get get the dream that you wish for. Right. It could turn into a nightmare here. Well, it might have on many occasions, many occasions. So the next match, Tracy Smothers and the Dirty White Boy, a.k.a. the Thugs, defeat Al Snow and Unabomb in a Loser Leaves Town match. Smothers pinned Unabomb. This was Al Snow's dream match. So, again, like we said, the, the dream is becoming a nightmare. They lose. What did you think about the team of Al Snow and Unibom? I had known about Al Snow prior to uh, coming to Smoky Mountain. I'd, I'd heard about him through the grapevine, hadn't really met him, but knew he was this uh, uh, supposed best-kept secret on the independents. And um, when I met him and saw him work, yeah, he was, he was very good. And, uh, you know, as we talked about before, uh you know, Eddie Gilbert was supposed to take Al Snow's place. You know, he was going to team with uh, the Unibomb and and kind of teach uh, Glenn along the way. And that that was that was a perfect idea back then to have someone with experience, maybe smaller, have a bigger guy by his side, learn how to work the bodyguard gimmick, or learn how to just work as a, a small guy big guy team and and Al I think was I, I I don't know if he would have been a better pick than Eddie but he was certainly um he he filled the spot uh without missing a beat so I thought Al was great as a singles and, and as a uh, tag team guy I think Glenn Unibom got uh a hell of an education, just being around him. And Glenn, Glenn has said that on many occasions that that it was Al Snow who who turned him on to a lot of the psychology in wrestling. So 
Um, that was, and, and once again, just, just to digress here a little bit, Smoky Mountain Wrestling was a perfect place for an inexperienced guy to go and learn the business and uh, sit under the learning tree of, of Jim Cornette, who had, who had sat under Bill Watts, Ernie Ladd, uh, um, and, and others, Dusty Rhodes' uh, learning tree, and, and just with, without even having to say, let me pick your brain, just listening uh, to to the to the thought process was an education, and uh, so you know all these guys, um, including myself, who happened to be on the crew, got a hell of an education, and we were given a hell of a, uh, an experience and a hell of an opportunity. What we did with it was was on us, and that that goes for everybody on the card, everybody in the crew. So. Um, you know, going to some of these towns and doing some of these matches might not have uh, made the most sense, but it, it was uh, it was the experience, it was the education, and I, I have to say it was invaluable, not just for me, but but everybody on there, even the guys who don't want to admit it. Uh, it was invaluable because you learn how to work in front of those kind of crowds. You learn how to work in a an, uh, an armory that may have had heat, may not. You'll have some coliseums in there once in a while, but but this was still professional wrestling, and this was the ground roots. It it taught you the basics and fundamentals, and I beat it to death all the time. They never go out of style. The basics and fundamentals never go out of style. This was classic professional wrestling, learning how to tell a story, and. Uh, that's what they did that night. And uh, once again, Al Snow was the best kept secret until he came on board with Smoky Mountain, which got him uh, hooked up with WWE in the end. So it all worked out. And then obviously with Unibom being his last match too, loser leaves town about 15 days later or so, he'd be wrestling Bret Hart at SummerSlam 1995, a part of the Jerry Lawler feud as Lawler brings in Isaac Yankum DDS. You know, their long run at this point, two-year feud, really long-running feud between Brett and Lawler. You know, he's bringing in guys to, to, you know, attack him and kill him. So quite a great entry into the WWE for Kane, a.k.a. Glenn Jacobs, to be Isaac Yankum and wrestle against easily one of the greatest of all time, Bret Hart. By all means. Yeah, by all means. And Glenn uh, uh, never forgot that. He knew it was his uh, foot in the door. And, of course, um that that was that was always the idea. I think for any booker back then, and in, anybody who uh, had power in a territory, power in promotion, knew that uh, if he could develop uh, talent, and if he could find talent to come in, raw talent to come into his place. Um, that had size, had a look, had a personality, had had the right attitude. It it helped everyone, and and it helped uh, a guy like Jim Cornette when he could recommend them to to the WWE and or WCW. Makes no difference uh, when you do stuff like that, and and then they see that you can recognize talent. It 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 only helps your stock too, and and. And it would help your company if if it was a different time frame, you know. But back in '95, '94, um, the business was changing. But but yeah, I mean, 
Glenn got a hell of a break, thanks to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Al Snow did. All of us did. If it wasn't, Smoky Mountain was the bridge for, you know, all of us uh, getting WWE. And uh, I can say that with full confidence because I I sure as hell wasn't going to get there any other way. So the next match, Brad Armstrong defeats Brian Lee. This was Buddy Landell's dream match. Then the next match, Ron Wright defeats the Dirty White Boy in the Dirty White Boy's dream match. And then Ron Wright's going to have a retirement ceremony as well. So we keep a theme going where the, the dream matches, you know, they keep losing. Um, and, you know, obviously whoever's dream match it is will take the loss. Ron Wright retires. I feel like maybe – could have retired earlier. I mean, he seemed old, you know, in, in, in you know, the early, right. Early eighties. Right. I know where you're going, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> I know where you're going yeah. with this, but, but here's the thing. Uh, look, th- this area is unique. I think still to this day, um, it, Knoxville, Tennessee, East Tennessee has their heroes. West Tennessee has their heroes too. West Tennessee is Lawler, Dundee, Coco Beware, Austin Idol, um, gosh, Jerry Jarrett, the Fargos. East Tennessee is uh, Whitey Caldwell, Ron Wright, um, uh, Ron and Don Wright actually, and and, uh, the Fullers, and uh, Jimmy Golden. And and, that's, that's from some sometimes the 60s, the 70s, 80s, in the 90s. When territories stopped running, um, obviously these guys stopped running. But, you know, not the younger generation, obviously, but, but the, the generation that grew up on Iran Wright, especially around here, knew the legend. And the generation uh, after that, might have heard rumblings, but whenever you talk about old school wrestling around here, it still comes back to Ron Wright. And could he have graduated? Or graduated? Could he have uh, retired years ago? Of course, he was one of those legends like Bob Armstrong. You know, Bob wrestled up until even last year. I don't know if he wrestled, but he went to a show and he went out to to the ring and danced and. You know, through a few chops, whatever. I mean, as sad as it can be, um, it, it's it's for some people, it's that that sensation, it's that vibe, it's that feeling they have. And again, we can say it's right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, there are still some people, problem, certainly not as many as there used to be. Still, some people who respect and appreciate the legends and. Around East Tennessee, you got uh, still, still people who uh, recall Whitey Caldwell. And when you talk about old school wrestling, that's that's where Whitey Caldwell's name comes up. And um, of course, Ron and Don Wright, Loaded Boot, and they did a lot of crazy, crazy angles around here. So at this time, I think. Jim, especially with as much reverence and respect, he paid the the legends that worked for him. I, I believe, and of course, Dirty White Boy, that was his idol growing up. So what a, what a what an honor it was for him, obviously, to to put Ron right over. Here he is, you know, the legend, 
the the King of Death matches and and the guy who made the the chisel. You're familiar with the chisel? Mm, no. No, no, no. You don't know the chisel. Well, let me if I can just sidetrack real quick and go off on this road. I'll I'll take just a minute if I might. Uh, in the early days, everybody would have the brass knucks. Here in Knoxville, here in East Tennessee, Ron Wright would have what they call a chisel. And when he would train somebody or work with somebody new, his deal was he was going to pop their cherry by hitting them with the chisel. What the chisel was, C-H-I-S-L-E or E-L, whatever, um, it was uh, this piece of metal wrapped with tape, white tape. And then they they had a, another piece of metal on top of the chisel in some way, fashion, whatever it was. And they would sharpen it to where it would be uh, extremely sharp, razor sharp. And Ron would hide it in his trunks, pull it out, and uh, had this, I don't know, half an inch of metal coming out from the knuckles, and it was sharpened, uh, razor sharp, and he would punch the guy in the forehead, and it would be a good shot, and blood would immediately come. It was it was as much of a shoot, whatever a shoot is and whatever a shoot was, but it was as real um, as real got back then because this was Ron Wright actually hitting you. You weren't blading. You weren't gigging. You weren't doing any of that stuff. He hit you, and from that chisel, he that sharp piece of metal on the end of it, all across his knuckles, that would go into your forehead. And uh, so, you know, I don't know if he used his chisel this night on White Boy, but he'd used it on White Boy before. And he knew what it was about, and he knew the legend of Ron Wright. He knew about uh, how crazy Ron and Whitey Caldwell could be. And, you know, that's that's what this this promotion was. It was about old-school guys. And, again, Jim Cornette just is an old-school guy, appreciates the old school, respects uh, the veterans who came before him, respects the guys who paved the way and uh, blazed the trail. That's I think that's one reason – why Jim feels the way he does about modern-day wrestling, because it seems that these guys have no respect for what's going on out there today um, or had have no respect for the guys who came before them. So, you know, I I, I can understand the sentiment. I can understand the feeling, um, especially when they don't take the time to figure out uh, where this business came from, where it went to, and how it got to where it is today. And anybody can do it. Anybody can get a ring. Anybody can set it up in their backyard or, or uh, rent a building. But guys like Ron Wright, they they were the ones who drew money and uh, uh, paid <laughs> paved the way and paid the price. Uh, for for us to be in the business today, and and that's why I think Ron went over, and I'm sure Dirty White Boy wouldn't have done it any other way. Now the next match is what you alluded to before. You mentioned Jim Cornette defeats Bob Armstrong in a first blood match. This was the Wolfman's dream match. Now the Wolfman, as described by Cornette, is a straggly older man 
who was brought into the company at the request of an owner of a vitamin supplement company who was actually sponsoring Smoky Mountain at the time. So Cornette said he was literally being paid to book this guy. I don't remember the Wolfman at all, but I was looking him up and kind of looks a, a bit of, of a joke, <laughs> of a, yeah. a weird, weird character. So kind of obviously Cornette goes over, you know, building some real heel heat, being the hero and Bobby Armstrong and, and winning a match that he definitely didn't think he'd win. But the Wolfman's dream like like the odd theme as we're continuing here is becoming a nightmare because another guy loses, I guess, their, their dream match, so to speak. But who the hell is the Wolfman? The the Wolfman is a guy who, who used to wrestle locally and and then he won the lottery. For oh. real. Won the lottery. Uh he's a preacher and he also uh, heavily Trying to think what his name is. Um, he's involved in Cauliflower Alley Club, but uh, yeah, he Jason Sanderson, I think, is is his name, brother, father Jason, or whatever it was. But he, but he's he's a he's a preacher, wrestled as a wolf man, and um, when he won the lottery, he just wanted to work. He didn't didn't need to get paid. He just wanted to be a part of the business and. Uh, I don't remember if he actually put in or bought in somewhere, but um, uh, that was that was a story about him. And <laughs> and once again, you know, when when you love wrestling that much, and and I, I certainly understand the passion for it, but but there does come a time when you have to say, hold on, let's 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 step back here from this for a minute. But you know, there are some people who just. Uh, have have such a passion for it and want to be be a part of it somehow. Bobby Fulton is a perfect example of somebody who who just loves the business. Um, or at one time he loved the business so much uh, and, and would wrestle anywhere, anytime uh, against anybody just just to get in that ring. I know I I, I understand that passion and and I get it, but the Wolfman. Um, I remember him coming around and nice guy, great guy wanting to be a part of something. And Jimmy made it happen. What a better way to make it happen with, uh, you know, the commissioner, Bob Armstrong and put it that way. So Brad Armstrong in the next, next match defeats Buddy Lindell in a lumberjacks with tennis rackets match. The winner obviously, which would be Brad Armstrong gets the held up Smoky Mountain title, so he's going to win the Smoky Mountain Championship, and this was actually his dream match. So now if you look at the booking, it was all set up to make it look like everyone was going to lose their dream match, and then boom, Brad Armstrong does the unthinkable. He wins his dream match, the only one to do that of the night, and he wins the Smoky Mountain title, defeating Buddy Landell. Well, and that makes perfect sense now. Right. I mean, again, yep. Brad, yeah, with, with Brad walking away as the champion, uh, you know, in his in his dream match, uh, especially. So, and and uh, what a better, um, what better way, I guess, to do it than than have everybody else lose and then a guy like Brad win. And uh, he he was a great, great look, great champion, could work with anybody. And um, Jimmy had that laid out for him as well. And of course. Jim Jim had a great relationship with the Armstrongs as as most people do, and uh, that's why they were all working in Smoky Mountain at that time. And I'm sure 
when Brad came on, he had just come from WCW two, and uh, you know he he looked great, could work with anybody, and um, uh, Jim knew he had a winner in Brad, so it made perfect sense to to have everybody else lose, and then here we go, Brad's uh, gonna nail it. Now, technically, here is the main event of the evening. Tracy Smothers and the Dirty White Boy, a.k.a. the Thugs, defeat the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champions, Heavenly Bodies, that is, the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard, the Gigolo, Jimmy Del Rey, via DQ. So you guys retain the Tag Team Championships. Was this our dream match? Now, this match, when I was looking up and I was trying to figure out, this is the only match that does not have a quote-unquote dream match attached to it. So you guys, for whatever reason, the main event of the evening, you guys don't have any sort of dream match attached to the match for whatever reason. Well, probably because it was a nightmare. No, it, no, it was <laughs> it was great. Uh, Tony and Tracy were uh, were always fun to work with. I mean, well, they, they they were fun to work with once once we got them settled down. Um, I have I have told you about grapple and the gravel. We've talked about that, I think, where, where I had to pull over and Tracy and I got a, got into an argument on the side of the road. Yes, but actually we never got into full detail about that we'll, fight. But uh, We'll have to count. do that. We'll have to do that on a perfect time. We'll have to do that because I can't, I can't go into detail tonight. It's just, I, and I say that because it's just not the right moment. I have to be in my, in the right moment to, uh, to describe that because there was, there were so many elements that, that, that fit this and it was all coming together like a perfect storm. But, but this was, um, this was after that. And, and I know that because, uh, uh, because, and, and I know that, uh, working with Tracy, working with Tony, uh, it, it was always solid and it was always, um, a hard hitting match and and we knew where we were going to go with it. People believed in those guys. People believed in Tracy, especially uh, because he is the wild eyed Southern boy. And and when I say that, um, if, especially here in the Southeast, you, you meet people like Tracy all the time. And it's, uh, it's genuine. It's, it's heartfelt and you, you don't, I I wouldn't wasn't taking it too serious when I first um, came in, and and I would poke the bear. Well, sometimes you poke the bear, that bear is going to raise up and and he's going to eat you. And there's a lot of those good old boys around here, and they're nice and easy going up until the point that uh, I I cross the line, and I I did that more than once, um, not fully understanding the consequences. And even when I did understand the consequences, I couldn't help myself. But uh, anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll have to. We'll have to maybe do a show just going over some of the crazy road stories that I, that I can talk about uh, on the podcast. But this one would take way too long. It'd be it, it, the way I'm feeling right now. I don't know that I could do it justice. Now, we definitely will discuss that in, in, in its entirety in a future episode, but just to throw this out there, 
Ricky Morton mentioned that to me, and Dutch Mantel mentioned that to me, that you guys had to knock down, <laughs> drag out. On the well. Tournament. So definitely it's a good story, definitely. <laughs> yeah, they got their side, I got my side, and the truth lies somewhere in between. You know, it, it's, 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 uh, it's, there's, look. I haven't. I'm not a. I'm not a real tough guy, and I'm not a real one of these guys like Manny Fernandez or, or, or Dick Slater or uh, whoever the, the the tough barroom brawlers were. But, but um, I I I knew that I knew that uh, I would have to fight, or I was going to get killed. And and anyway, but it was it was such a it was such an odd experience. I'm just I'm glad I I, I had it because um, it it just showed me another side of uh, the human psyche and, and and the way people can can twist things. That I mean, I, I know what I meant by it, but not everybody understands what you mean when you say it. You know, hey, I didn't mean it like that. Well, how did you mean it? Well, I kind of meant it like this and. And that's even worse. So, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting night. It was an interesting time with Tracy. But, but I love Tracy, and 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 we we got it all out in the wash. And and it's one of those things, you know, if you if you're in this business for any amount of time, there's going to be a few fu's along the way, and there's going to be a few uh, push and shove, and and you're an asshole. Oh yeah, you're an asshole. Yeah, well, go to hell. No, you go to hell. And there's there's going to be some of that if you stick around long enough. And and if there's not, then you're not uh, that passionate about what you do, I guess. At least that's the way I feel about it. I think that is a great exclamation point on Fire on the Mountain 1995 from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Want to also just mention this as we roll into the plugs. Blue Chew is the better, faster, and cheaper choice. Thank them for sponsoring the podcast today. Remember, when you support the sponsors, you also support our podcast. So please make sure to use our promo code DOC at BlueChew.com. Let's write the special offer. Get your first shipment free. Just use a special promo code DOC. All you do is pay $5 shipping. And who couldn't use more sex right now? And great sex at that, man. Blue Chew is the way to go. Totally agree. And then, of course, got to mention another great plug uh, part of the show, and that is your book, A Pro Wrestling Curriculum, Advice, Suggestions, and Stories to Help the Aspiring Pro Get to the Next Level. Where can they get this book? You can get my book on Amazon.com. Just type in the search uh, box up there for Dr. Tom's book, Dr. Tom Pritchard's book. It'll come right up. Also, you can get a personally signed autographed copy uh, if you send $25 to PayPal, and my PayPal address is drtompritchard at AOL.com. So uh, either way, Amazon or PayPal, you can get a pro wrestling curriculum, suggestions, advice for the season pro and the beginner. And if you go to prowrestlingtees.com, you can go to Dr. Tom's store or the JPWA store and pick up a shirt or some merchandise over there. You can also check them out on Patreon, where a Patreon page has been set up. You can become a patron and support the JPWA in that way. Also, you can check out the website. That is jpwrestlingacademy.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. You can follow Dr. Tom on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom, what else is going on as far as appearances and anything else you got going on? 
Well, we, we do start the next uh, JPWA uh, 12-week class beginning August 31st. goes through October 20th. Uh, go to jpwrestlingacademy.com for all details. Um, I have a virtual autograph signing coming up next Thursday. Ah, here we go. Next Thursday, uh, what is that, the 20th, right? No. Yes. Yep. Okay. Now it's not next Thursday. It is. It is the. Let me get my calendar right here. I apologize for not being prepared, but I just thought of this. It's been uh, one of those days. All right. So, uh, so week after that, it is the week after that. On um, the yes, the twenty seventh of August, uh, I will be in. Uh, gosh, I think it is Bristol, Connecticut for a virtual autograph signing Facebook Live, and I'll have more information as we go. In fact, I, I'll be talking, we'll be talking before that mm-hmm. uh, next week, and I'll have more information on that. Um, uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania, I will be returning there again, I believe it is the 5th and 6th of September for Imagine Wrestling. So we have some stuff coming up. Um, it's going to be very, very cool. And uh, we'll we'll discuss next week when I have everything in front of me, which I I feel stupid now for even saying anything that I didn't have in front of me while we were ready. So, anyway, that's that. I have a virtual autograph session coming up in Stanford. We start our next session on 31st. And looking at it, it will be the 31st. Oh, gosh. Through... October 20th. October something. Uh, well, uh, it's not October 20th. It's uh, November 20th. Thank oh, you. No, yeah, my bad. November 20th. It is. That's what you got to do. I have to be prepared for this. I'm sorry. It's uh, it's Sunday as we tape this or, or record this or whatever we do. Do we even use tape anymore? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Thank you. So as yeah. we record this and, uh, you know, it's just – it's. It's getting to be a weird place in the world, and I think we're all ready for it to end. I'm ready for 2021 to come up. Absolutely, and we thank everybody for joining us this week on Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. We'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.